From the headquarters of Ramsey Solutions, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where I take calls from leaders like you about what it takes to win in business and in leadership. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host with over 30 years of experience in the trenches doing what you do. Today, I've done what you do as the CEO running this business that I started on a card table in my living room 30 years ago. So you can do it, America. This is how it's done. Small business is the backbone of America, and we're here to help you with your leadership and your business ideas and your questions and your challenges. The phone number, if you want to call in, is 844-944-1070, 844-944-1070, or you can call and leave what you'd like to talk about on the website at entreeleadership.com slash ask, and we will make you a caller on this show. Luke is with us in Phoenix. Hey, Luke, what's up? Hey, Dave. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. How can I help? I'm a custom rifle builder uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we've got uh, two and a half employees plus myself, and we, we did $3.1 million in revenue last year. Goodness gracious. Nice rifles. Thanks. Yeah, we, uh, we're killing it. We st- I started no pun in my intended, basement. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Well, I started in my basement 12 years ago and just kept on growing, did the, you know, kind of like Ken Coleman talks about. And yeah. Well, I'm proud of you, man. That's great. So $3 million dollars worth last year. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. So what's your, what's your average question? unit cost? Average unit retail for? Uh, before optic, we're in the four to $6,000 range. You're so. making a bunch of rifles. Wow. Uh, we we sell a lot of components as well. Okay, so, wow, um, good. Yeah, we do a, we do a fair number of rifles. All right, two yeah. and a half team members, so two two full time, one part time. How can I help? So I I've I, since I've submitted the question, I've you've talked about some in the podcast, but I'm wondering recommendations for bringing on a you know, like a smart money program benefit for my employees without you know targeting the especially with this small team you know, targeting someone who really needs the budgeting help and baby step guidance uh, in their life. Yeah. I would just say, I would just say, Hey guys, I'm going to furnish financial peace university for two, for, for both of you. And I want you to go through it because it changed my life. And I want you to go through it because I want you to be able to, we're winning here at the business and I want you to be winning at home with your money. And it'll show you how to get out of debt, how to get on a budget, how to agree with your spouse on money and how to get rich how to become wealthy. Okay. And I'm going to give it to you as an employee benefit. The only thing I ask is that you actually go to the class. Okay. It's just, yeah, you know, it, sounds, call, it costs you like 80 idea. bucks a yeah. person. It's not anything. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. That's yeah. a good idea. And then, you know, open up some lunchroom discussions about what they're learning. Okay. And let them talk about it and see if your guy that you're concerned about is plugging in emotionally. Okay. A little, little follow-up to make sure he's going to class and that he's plugging in emotionally. He's actually starting to do some of the stuff. And, you know, offer to, uh, if you want to, I w- if I were in your situation, I, I, I'm not above offering to help somebody. Um, meaning, uh, I, I would, you know, if, I, if he gets to talking about it and he's enthused about it, go, hey, if you ever want me to look at your stuff with you, I'll look at it. I'll coach you because I've been doing this stuff and I used to mess it up all the time. And it really changed my life when I got a hold of it. And I'm excited that you're starting to do it and I'll help you with it any way I can. And, okay. Uh, and, and so he's mainly got a budgeting issue, but he's not overwhelmed with debt. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I think there's some debt there too, but yeah, I, I, uh, some, but I mean, it's not like he's yeah. like, he's about to lose his house or something. 
No. Okay. No. All right. Because so. we will step in uh, if they'll do financial counseling with us. We'll step in and help them financially if we okay. need to. But, it, you know, we're now able to. When we were two people, we weren't able to. You're making a lot more money than I was when I had two people. But, um but yeah, you, you can right. yeah, you can consider that part as well. Uh, if you can get it, if oh. you can get down in their lives and just mentor the person, it's very helpful. That right. changes. Yeah, because it's it's not a money it's not a money issue. It never money. is. Yeah. No, no. So okay. So I hey, like man, well done. I'm glad you care about your people. You're a great guy. That's the kind of people. And listen, you folks out there listening, Luke is everywhere in America. He actually cares about his team. And, and most corporate America doesn't, we know that because they lay off 10% of their employees, 7,000 people to increase stock price in Q1. And Luke would never do that. He, he loves his people. He's taking care of his people. See, that's a whole different way of looking at running a business. So those of you that are looking for a job out there, you need to know that the best place in the world to work is not big business. It's small business because it's the best opportunity you have to actually get to work with people who know you, your family, your dreams, your fears, and care about you. And a good small business operator will do that. And Luke is doing just exactly that right now. That's how it's done. Oh, and by the way, he's financially killing it. He's making a lot of money, and that's great. Making some really nice rifles over there in Phoenix. Yeah. There you go. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Hey guys, a virtual assistant from Belay can change your life by changing the way you work. Now take it from Zach Way, the director of operations for Wasco, a California-based company that makes semiconductor parts. He heard about Belay virtual assistants from a friend, and now Zach's saving 23 hours a week just by delegating some of those tasks that are urgent but less important like emails, calendar appointments, all that stuff. And Zach says, even though it can be difficult in the short term to establish the process to hand things off, the ROI is totally worth it. In fact, he estimates the time saved is worth about 120000 bucks a year. Now that helps Zach convince the owners of his company, who are also stretched thin, to get Belay virtual assistants of their own. To learn more about how a virtual assistant from Belay can change the way you work and live, check out their free download showing you how to save 15 hours every week just by delegating. Get it by texting ENTREE to 55123. That's E-N-T-R-E to 55123. If you're a business owner, you know your team is your biggest asset, your biggest expense, but sometimes they can be your biggest pain in the butt. Getting them all on the same page, getting the ducks in a row is often mind-blowingly frustrating. No matter how many times you tell them how to do something, sometimes they don't do it. And you wonder, why, are they, why aren't they getting it? Well, I felt this too. I get this frustration. I get it. Uh, because here's the deal. The truth is business is easy until people get involved. Your team can only be as strong as your ability to lead them. Getting them to get it is on you. It's your job to build a relationship with your team, to be the chief reminding officer, and to lead by example, and to love them. And that's why I want you to join Entree Leadership for a free two-day masterclass called Unbreakable Leadership. 
Ramsey personality Ken Coleman and some of my top senior leaders will teach you how real business owners empower and equip their teams to win in any season. If you have a team, you can't miss this live stream on February 26th and 27th. Sign up right now at entreleadership.com slash unbreakable leadership. Oh, by the way, it's free. Do it. EntreLeadership.com slash unbreakable leadership. Brian is with us. Brian is in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, Brian, welcome to the Entree Leadership Podcast. Hey, Dave, how are you? Better than I deserve. What's up? So I've got a question for you. Um, I'm 28. I'm a welding engineer at the family business, and um, we do uh, pulp paper mill production work, and it's parts since going to mill. But um, I'm really interested on finding more work for the business because we're not at the size of our competitors. Our competitors are way beyond us. But um, but also keeping it small. And there's 14 of us, and we had about a we'd had about four million in revenue last year. Good. Okay. And so, what is it you actually do? Tell me again. Um. And paper mills, the paper mill process, there's parts that go in tubs and everything that all the papers push through and process through, and over time it wears, and we, we when, they're, when they wear, we get them out and rebuild them back to regular specs and everything that they're at when they're made, and then ship them back. So you're doing manufacturing renovation and repair? Basically, yes, sir. Okay. And how, what percent? And the people that do exactly what you do, you have competitors. Um, to an ex- well, yeah, they're they're competitors, but they're way they're way over us. They do everything involved in the paper mills, like from very first processes to the finish. And we don't do that. All we do is one product in the whole process. Yeah. Why don't they use you for that product? Um. Most of them do, but the other ones, but we just, we don't offer it. I mean, it's, they do, our other competitors, I mean, they do, they're doing billions in work a year. I mean, it's, they're doing all kinds of stuff and they can basically build a paper mill from the ground up and we, we can't. Right. So you're not, they're not really a competitor. You're more like a subcontractor to them. Yes, sir. But they don't see you, they they don't see you as a competitor. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. But at the same time, they're taking, they're doing the work that we could be doing if they weren't in there. Mm-hmm. But they're in there doing everything else in the mill. So it's something I've I've thought about just ways of being able to get that work from them. Yeah. Because they've got so much other work to worry about. But I'm just I haven't figured out how to do it yet. And I've I've only been back at the family business about four months now. I've I've worked here prior, but I went on the road and got my engineering and everything, and then came back because family's getting old but um and i'm just i'm just i feel i'm not stuck because i mean we do good but it's just i want more than what we have yeah good for you well yeah trying to figure out a way to keep growing because anything's not growing is dying right so, exactly that's so exactly very right smart there's no panic here there's nothing on fire but um but you may get squeezed completely out if you don't solve this right that's that's what that's what's came to mind yeah that's what the what you're describing that's what it sounds like so um, either you're going to find smaller paper mills that don't use these big conglomerates to come in and they use people like you as one-to-one customer, or you're going to, and, or 
you're going to do sub work for these big operations. And when you're going to convince them that it is more economical and more professional and a better product end for you to handle what you do for them when they're doing the whole mill. Yes, sir. Sub out. In other words, you become a sub to them and there's no harm in that at all. That's a, not a bad gig at all. Cause then you're not having to really go get the business. You, every time they get a bit, get a mill to do, you're automatic. You're in there. Mm-hmm. And see, um, that's one thing too, like the, the, our biggest customers, I mean, it's, our top three biggest customers, we, I mean, when we do it and go in there for shutdowns, our competitors are also in there. I mean, we, I mean, we talk to them and everything like that. And it's just, I mean, they, they want us out of it, but they're not trying to run us out of it. But at the same time, I'm not sure how, how we could go about getting them to sub it out to us. Yeah. Well, they're doing, they're doing 19 things and you're doing one thing. So it appears to me that it'd be easier for them if they did 18 things and hired you to do one of them and you made that worth their while. I I don't know. I don't know how the business works, but that's there's, it's either that or you go head to head with them and it doesn't sound like you're really prepared to do that. No, sir. Or you find, or you find, uh, people that aren't their potential customers because they're too small and you do their work. Okay. You know, uh, and I don't, I don't know the spectrum of size of paper mills. And I would, my guess is, is that the smaller ones are probably drying up. No pun intended. Um, that you're probably moving on. You know, you're probably a lot of them are ro- a lot of the works rolling into the big boys. It's consolidate the business of consolidating. I assume, I don't know. And I guess the third piece of it is what's the international product line look like and how often are you going overseas to do this work? Um, because I'm well aware that a lot of paper stuff is moving overseas. So, you know, what's the international aspect of what you're offering and what can you do to get there? So I wish I was a little better at manufacturing than I am, but that's just, I'm just entrepreneurially thinking with you here and agreeing with you that they could look up one day and if all the business is big boys and all the big boys are doing, all your big competitors are doing uh, soups and nuts for the whole thing, and they won't let you in, you could be done. Uh, that might happen gradually, and it might happen all at once if they decide to get vicious. So um, I'm thinking I want to play nice with them, become their sub, become something that they count on uh, and that they're glad I'm around and they want to keep me healthy and that, and pick up some smaller ones, and that's probably where your upside is from what I'm understanding of what you do. I could be way off, but from what I understood of our conversation, that's where I would end up. And so good, good, good thinking. The good news is you're actually looking at it and not just standing around letting it happen to you. And so that, that entrepreneurial zeal you have is going to take you a long way. Way to go, dude. Very, very cool. Excellent job. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Trainual. Even when you're great at running the day-to-day, a lot of leaders struggle to delegate. But delegation is a critical leadership skill, and empowering your team by building that skill just takes having the right system in place. Well, Trainual is that system, and it's a game changer. Trainual is an easy-to-use app that helps document and organize everything about your company in one place. Clear outlines for every role and responsibility, step-by-step training for all your SOPs and employee handbook content, an org chart and directory, You can build accountability tests. Employees can even use Trainual's powerful search to answer their own questions. 
Companies using Trainual are cutting training time and related costs by up to 75%. Get started with over 300 templates and their world-class support. It's time to get your entire team playing from the same playbook. Visit Trainual.com slash Entree today for a demo and get 15% off your first year with code Entree15. That's 15% off at T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L dot com slash Entree with code E-N-T-R-E-1-5. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host. Thanks for being with us. If you want to help us out here on the Entree Leadership Podcast, we could use your help, please. How can you do that? Well, you can subscribe to the show. You can click the follow button, the subscribe button. You can share the show, either share a link and uh, tell people this podcast is out there or tell them about it vocally, verbally, send them an email with a link in it. I don't care how you do it. Depend on some, some of these platforms have a share button. Just click the share button, send it out. That's how you do it. It's very easy. So thank you for doing that. And leave a five-star review. If you haven't got anything nice to say, say it somewhere else. One-star reviews aren't helpful. But thank you. When a bunch of you are doing that, and the popularity and the rankings on this show have gone up dramatically in the last 12 months, and it's because of you sharing this and subscribing and following and leaving five-star reviews. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Deacon is with us in Lexington, Kentucky. Hi, Deacon. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on here, Dave. Sure, man. What's up? So I own a pre-owned mower dealership in Lexington, Kentucky. Last year, we did $326,000 in sales, and during our busiest time of year, we got up to eight employees. And the problem we're having is where we list all of our equipment, it's all through one sales avenue on Facebook, and we're wanting to diversify that and grow our sales channels. Do you have any recommendations or thoughts on that? Just Because it seems like it's uh, very, all my eggs are in one basket, and when stuff goes wrong, everything comes to a halt. Yep. Yep, and if Facebook decides to screw with you, they will. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's dang- you're very yeah. wise to diversify and not count on a company like Facebook or Google to be your entire future. They're a tool, and you can use them, but I wouldn't have the mm-hmm. whole thing be- beating down. So where else can you sell lawnmowers? How else do you do it? How do you find the customers? You tell me. Well, so we buy our equipment directly from consumer as of our model right now through Facebook on Marketplace. But the big thing that has changed over the past two weeks is we started going to dealerships and buying equipment from them, and then we're looking into supplying them with equipment so they can essentially order our mowers since they don't carry them. Um, But we still, that's just one sales avenue, but we want to diversify in more than just that one in Facebook. Yeah, that's a wholesale purchase and sale when you're dealing with other dealers, right? Correct. And where you were, you were buying mowers uh, from a, a consumer that's sick of it, doesn't need it, whatever, garage, a garage sale lawnmower, so to speak, and uh, then you're fixing those up and retailing them back to consumers was your old model, right? Well, um, I, essentially, yes, but our equipment isn't like small ones like, uh, you know, people with little yards use. They're okay, so this is, this is commercial equipment. Mowers. Correct. Yeah. Anywhere between 2000 and 10000 per unit. Okay. So big zero turns and that kind of stuff. Correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. I got you. Hmm. Interesting. It's a very unique business model. So it's just basically starting it from scratch. So where do people like your customers hang out 
other than Facebook Marketplace? That's the question I'm asking if I'm you. Hmm. I'm not sure I know the answer. Uh, 36 months ago, we would have said Craigslist. Maybe we wouldn't say that now. Would hmm. we say LinkedIn? Uh, That's a potential one. Is there a, uh, I mean, small business guys wanting to start a lawn mowing business might come and buy some of your equipment to get started, right? Hmm. Yeah, we get a lot of that. Yeah, that that might be LinkedIn. Where are they? Uh, where are they advertising to get their customers to do lawn? How are they finding their customers? The guy who's doing landscaping in your area, he he wants to open a lawn cutting business. Mm -hmm. How does he get customers? Word of mouth only. Mm -hmm. I'm asking. Uh, it, um, that's a good question. A bunch of the smaller guys, yes, it is word of mouth and like through apps like the Nextdoor app. Okay. All right. Yeah, I might try a real Nextdoor app test. Okay. Dump a bunch of dump and, a bunch of uh, you know, take take 20% of your Facebook effort and drop it into Nextdoor. And okay. and and five, and 5 or 10% and drop it into LinkedIn. And let's see if we can move some of that business out of Facebook land. Uh, we're, I'm, I'm not mad at Facebook. I just don't want to stand on one leg because somebody will kick you in the knee. Yeah. That lack of diversification okay. is bad, you know? So how much of your budget do you recommend allocating towards testing new things? Um, I'm taking some of the budget that I have now and repositioning it to testing, if I'm you. Okay. I'm not going to okay. allocate new dollars unless you feel like you have to. Um. And it could be, it could be, you could start small. I mean, for a month or two, uh, but we got, uh, a year and a half, two years ago, we got too dependent on Google, uh, paid ads and, and Google words and paid ads on Facebook. And we were spending way too much on paid SEO. And, uh, when I actually looked down and saw company wide, what we were spending, I had a, I had a face plant, man. I went, my face melted. And so we started aggressively trying to not be so dependent on paid advertising in those two companies because those two companies will come get you eventually. They're, they're, as soon as they figure out you're making money, they'll want some of it. You know, they're, they're not bashful about it at all. And so um, they'll put something out that's free and easy and all that for a little while, and then all of a sudden they start charging for it. So uh, it's okay. It's just life. But uh, I, don't, I just don't want to depend on the whole thing. And, and I mean, I just don't want to pin my whole thing on them. So in other words, if you're spending, what are you spending on Facebook a month? Right now we're spending anywhere between 1500 to 2000. Okay. Take a couple of hundred out of that, reduce it a little bit and throw it at some next door tries and some LinkedIn tries or something else. Okay. And let's, let's try to figure okay. out, um, uh, are there any apps in your area that are doing well? Uh, for, uh, the customer that's looking for help, like neighborly.com mm -hmm. neighborly's a customer of ours. We advertise for them, but they've got, uh, people that do all kinds of work in an area. Uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of what, what some of them are. Angie's list, that kind of thing, where if somebody's looking for that, they may have marketplace situations in those. That, that you can find. So, yeah. I, um, and again, I, I'm not afraid of using Facebook Marketplace for your, for your 
thing. I just don't want it to be the, I don't want 50 to 80% of your business in one, any one channel, because that's, yeah. a, that's the way you're going to get your head taken off eventually. Um, because I can promise you, they don't care about your business. The, mm -hmm. They'll turn left on you and leave you standing in the road so fast. It's unbelievable. So I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying they're evil. They're not, they're just, they're just a monolith. So, um, anyway, uh, <laughs> Gosh, I'm stumbling around, Deacon, because I just don't have a real clear thing. Go do this, this, or this. Um, well, I like the the story you shared about your SEO, and I, I believe I can use those same frameworks that you guys used and relate that to my problem and help solve it. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and, and I... Hmm. Where are... Um, uh, what, what, what types of content do your customers consume? Where are they consuming content? A podcast? Are they reading blogs about repairs? Um, where is that information sitting that's real popular with this group? Um, well, our, our normal customer is farmers and smaller landscapers, and those smaller landscapers will post content about their day-to-day -day work showing off like uh, their project that they're working on with the piece of equipment. Um, so, you know, yeah, their Instagram accounts, that kind of thing. Yeah, correct. Yeah. I might jump into that feed and create an Instagram that interacts with them. Um, but you know, I'll tell you, old, old, the reason in the old days, and it might even still be true. It might be fun to try it. Uh, an old school farmer would listen to AM radio to find out what's going on in the day with the weather or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, mm -hmm. if you're a John Deere dealer selling combines, you might in the old days have advertised, you would have advertised on the ag radio. And, uh, it's very niche. Nobody listens to it except farmers, mm -hmm. you know, or they didn't even then nobody listened to it because it was boring as crud for people that weren't farmers, <laughs> you know, but if you're a farmer, yeah. it was like, it was essential to get up and get plugged into that. And uh, so, uh, it was, but you know, like when we were in talk, you know, when we're in talk radio now, but in the old days in talk radio, we knew exactly who the listener was. And, you know, we knew that, um, if, if you're looking for, uh, um, you know, a Rush Limbaugh listener in the old days, it would have been a, a 55 year old white guy, you know? Mm. Uh, and so if that's your customer, you don't advertise on the rap station, you know? And that's kind of what I'm yeah. trying to feel through with you here is how do we, how do we find your customer? Um, my guess is be, if you're going to, if you're going to do music, it'd be country radio, obviously, um, particularly old school country. If you found that, that the classic, uh -huh. classic stuff, but anyway, I don't know. I, I'm just going to poke or keep poking around. The beautiful thing about what you're doing, Deacon, is you're smart enough to ask the question and you're smart enough to realize you're vulnerable by having all your eggs in one marketing basket because Facebook is, you know, they're, they're going down the yellow brick road, holding you in a basket. And that's a mm -hmm. little scary. So yeah, you're yeah. smart to ask that question, not to necessarily run. We haven't run away from Facebook and Google. We still use them and, um, we still get decent results in most of the time, but we just were scared that we were becoming too dependent on crack and we got addicted to crack, man. And cause you put out that money, more money comes back. It's boom, just like that. It works. 
And so, yeah, you could do that. You could try some Google keywords and see what pops up, like lawnmower repair or, you know, used lawnmower or something like that and see what buying those in your area. You can geo-target those on Google. You could try some of that as well. But the the good news is I didn't give you any real answers, but I am going to encourage you to try some of those different things, allocate, reallocate some of your budget and re-diversify so that at the end of this calendar year, you're not as dependent on a single source of marketing leads. You don't want to be tied to a single source of marketing leads. That's what will get you, get your, get your, get your burnt, man. It'll get you in a pain in the butt right there. It's bad. So that that's a, you're asking the right questions. I don't have the exact tactical answer for you, but I'm going to encourage you to keep pushing on the buttons you're pushing on. And you're going to have to try a bunch of different things until you find the one thing that works or the, the five things that work. And that's what's happened with us. We found a bunch of different ways to get people into the Ramsey tribe without using Facebook or Google to do it. We found a bunch of different ways last year to do that. And uh, we just had to try a whole bunch of things we hadn't thought about trying because we woke up with a little bit of fear like you did. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. We just got back from Summit 2024 in Dallas, and it was absolutely incredible, y'all. If you missed it, you don't want to miss the next one. Me and a few thousand small business leaders are going to Denver next May to hear from John Maxwell, Pat Lincioni, Dr. John Deloney, and many, many more. Plus, for the first time ever, we're doing reserved seating. The sooner you lock in your tickets, the better your seats will be. But hundreds of tickets are already gone. So don't wait. Go to entreleadership.com slash summit to reserve your seats today. Thanks for hanging out with us, America. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host. If you want to be part of this show, we'd love to have you as a caller. Eboo, we call her. She's our phone screener. She'll get back to you when you leave a message at 844-944-1070 and uh, you'll be one of the callers on this show and I'll try to help you with your situation if I can. It's what I do. 844-944-1070. If you leave a message at entreleadership.com slash ask on the website, Eboo will also get in touch with you and you'll have the pleasure of talking to her and you'll get to be put on the air and that's how this thing works around here. Tim is with us in Wilmington, North Carolina. Hey Tim. Hey Dave, how are you? Better than I deserve, sir. I am the owner operator of an on-site furniture repair company. Um I've got two guys working for me. This is uh my first full year in business and top line was I want to say right around 190 this year. Mhm. Um, one employee started in May, the last one started in November. So I still don't have a full year of employees under my belt. Mm -hmm. Um, and my question is, how do I deal with fear about, you know, the unknown day-to-day things of running a business and not letting, um, an attitude of scarcity kind of overtake me and adopt an attitude of abundance? instead of living in fear. Hmm. Well, my dad used to say 90% of the, uh, of solving a problem is realizing there is one. And the very fact right. that you can vocalize this means you've already started to attack what you're dealing with, uh, before you even call me. So, um, it is normal to have these, uh, you know, John Johnson, the famous quote is the entrepreneur is the only person who can go from sheer terror to sheer exhilaration and back every 24 hours. 
I heard you say that not too long ago on a show, and I was like, I, I identify. I'm with that, that guy. Yeah, we all are. I mean, it's it's a normal right. thing. The only thing that helps fear go away is a more predictable environment, right? And sure. the more predictable environment comes from a couple of things. Uh, one is just some length of track record. So you got a sure. very short track record with this, um, and so you've got a, you know, it's it's less predictable. If you've been doing this ten years. And you went from, you know, 190 to 210 to 280 to, and you know, you had moderate growth along the way, but you had steady growth. Uh, and you could look back at that. That takes some fear away, right? Sure, so, it so does. Track record does that. Some time in, time in the saddle t- does that. Um, the, the other thing that does that is systems, uh, putting in place some systems that, that uh, keep you, you know, keep you in, uh, from, from going over the cliff. On, on something, taking on too much business that you can't afford, or uh, getting right. over your skis on something, you know, uh, uh, or you know, spending too much time in the shop and not enough marketing, so no new business is coming in. So you got some systems watching new business. You got some accounting metrics that are helping you with that. And you're going, I'm watching my cash flow here. I'm watching my cash to make sure I'm not running low on cash. Oh, I got to get, I got to turn around. I got to take care of this. Making sure expenses right. don't get out of control. That you don't have something that. Um, you end up selling, um, you know, some of your services at a loss because you're not paying attention to pricing and exp- versus your cost to, to do that particular service on the repair, uh, those kinds of things. So uh, they don't have to be complicated systems, but just something that keeps your finger on the pulse of more than just working on the furniture. Your job sure. is to work on the business. And that's that's where I'm trying to get. But if I don't work on furniture, we don't make money. Oh, I know. You're in the treadmill, you know, so you're in the treadmill like- stage. I like to say I'm the chief everything treadmill operating off. Yeah, you are. Right? You're, you're definitely I'm in the just, treadmill stage. If you take a vacation, production goes way down. Way down. Yeah. Way down. And, and so one of your first goals to get rid of the fear is to move out of the treadmill stage up to the Pathfinder stage. And, um, you know, that's, you know, that, that that's going to be the thing. And so the basically the way you do that is you get the business built in such a way that you're working on it more rather than just in it. Uh, sure. Gerber talks about that in the book E-Myth. And the way you do that, you just hired a guy in November. You know, you hired a guy in May. Right. And so right. Right. the more people you've got doing production, and then you've got somebody doing marketing later, and you got five people doing production. Then if you go on vacation, marketing is still happening, new business is coming in, and production you know, creating the cash is still happening. You know, the, the furniture is getting repaired and going back out the back door. Then, uh, you know, now we've got something that's running without you physically touching it all the time. And sure. that's, that's the goal you need to head towards in the next 36 months. Um, it may take you a little while to get there cause you've got to get your volume up enough to afford to hire, do these hires. Right. Uh, so right. you got some marketing work to do. So that's marketing. That that's a great question that I have because the way the way my business is kind of set up, like Johnny down the street isn't calling me. It's furniture stores and like moving companies, and then protection plans that furniture stores sell. So getting my foot in the door with them is very arduous. And believe it or not, I know it's it's kind of a niche thing that I'm I'm doing, but there's some big players in the country that do this that have long since been established. So getting in the door, I think that's where the fear comes in because it feels like I'm hitting a brick wall a lot of times just to get someone to talk to me. Yeah, but that's only the the big stores and stuff. If you developed a whole line of 
direct-to-consumer business as well. Mm-hmm. You found mm-hmm. a way to let people know. Um, I mean, we were just talking to the other guy about using Facebook Marketplace, but you could jump on Facebook Marketplace and say, I fix furniture. And, sure. you know, you get my wife, uh, uh, you know, the, the decorator that's not, not the furniture store, but the decorator on the new house remodel uh, is bringing mm-hmm. you some stuff. Local home builders are telling people about it. You know, um, I'm dealing with a, a furniture builder right now for Sharon and sure. I on, on something, a guy building a table for us that's local. He's, a, he's an excellent craftsman. And, um, but the way I, it took a while to find the guy. I didn't even know he was there. You know, I'm, I'm hunting around begging for somebody to do this work. And so right, there, right. There, there's a direct to consumer business line out there. If you could tap into it. And if you had 25 or 30% of your business coming from that and, you know, 70% or so coming from these wholesale outlets, meaning the, the, the stores and the manufacturers and the moving companies, then that's fine. But I think you just keep making those phone calls to those big boys and you start to develop how can I get the word out on direct-to-consumer. And that could be custom home builders. It could be the local decorators. I talk to every decorator in town, tell them what you're doing. And I let them off the list. Yeah, interior designers, they're big. They're big. They're huge. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I yeah. let those off the list. I have probably 15 of those okay. call me occasionally. Okay. And yeah, I'd go get more of those. And then, you know, two, uh, where do people find somebody that wants their furniture repaired these days? If an individual, again, a Google, a Google word search that's uh, geo-targeted into the Wilmington area, it's not that expensive to do to buy furniture repair for Wilmington, North Carolina. That word is not going to be expensive because there's nobody competing for that word. So I'm on Google, but I didn't know that you could actually like pay Google to be. You can you can pay uh, to be the number one thing that shows up when someone searches it in your neighborhood. And see, that's why I call people like you because I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's a Google word search purchase. But it's okay. let me tell you, it'll work, and it's like crack, and you'll get addicted. Be careful, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, I just I just talked yeah. to the other guy about that a few yeah. minutes ago. Just be careful with this stuff. And and you know, I'd put right. I'd put some stuff out there on Facebook Marketplace. You know, the other thing you could do that would be fun um, is you could start an Instagram account and show the work being done. Yep. And get some of the decorators to uh, follow you and like what you're doing. And get get and and to where just the 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 community around the furniture builders, maybe um, the moving companies start sharing your Instagram account because it's kind of cool to see behind the scenes how you actually fix a piece of furniture. Sure, sure. Yeah, we had that thought too. We had that thought too. Yeah, I don't so, know that so, I'd put uh, a lot I'm into in, that. That sounds a little bit Chip and Joanna to me. But it does. Um, it does. But the question about legality. Since I'm in people's, uh, like I'm going into homes. Do I need waivers and stuff to take pictures of people's stuff and put it on social media? Uh, you know, at first, at first, probably what I'd do is I would just ask. Um, sure. And if it's something super expensive or if it's a celebrity's house, I definitely would. Oh, 100%. If, if it's Joe Smith down the road and you're fixing his freaking kitchen table, hey, Joe, can I put this on my Instagram account? Yeah, I'd go ahead. Because <laughs> okay. they're not okay. going to bother you. If it was me no. doing it, I'll guarantee you we get a release because they're looking sure. for an excuse to turn Dave Ramsey into a lawsuit, right? But um, oh yeah, yeah, I made a lot of money on that. Yeah, you know, and no, right. I, don't, I don't, I don't need that. So we're we release everything now because we're just freaks. But 
but that's because I yep. got such a target yep. on my butt. In your case, I just asked Joe, is it okay, man, if I put this on? If he says no, then don't do it, you know? Sure, but sure. The, the only time I've ever had somebody uh, give us any issue really was if it was some kind of celebrity and we're sharing the inside of something and they don't want that out there, then that's understandable. Well, all the dang film went to Georgia from Wilmington, so we don't have to worry about that much anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We really don't. I've done it. I've been in houses before in the past, but they're all in Atlanta now. (laughs) Well, I doubt it, but there's probably somebody around there that doesn't want to doesn't doesn't want the IRS to know where they are or something. I don't know. So just ask, and if you if if it comes up a lot and people start getting creepy on you, then just get get you a little one page release and do it. But I, oh. I really wouldn't spend much of my emotional or time bandwidth on Instagram stuff if I were you, because I don't, mm-hmm. my gut tells me that's probably not where you're going to get your business. It's going to be stuff like decorators and real estate agents and moving companies and home remodelers um, and, and, you know, stuff like that. Um, right, right. Where you can do something like that. And, you know, that that's the whole thing. So I love what you're doing, though. And I'll tell you, the trajectory that you're on and the questions, you're asking the exact right questions as a treadmill operator on how to get off the treadmill. How do I get – the treadmill is – it's fraught with fear because it's so dependent on you. And when you can get off the treadmill and move up to Pathfinder, where the whole – meaning the whole business doesn't count on you for for revenue and for production, then you've you've really made a, a, a huge move emotionally in your business. And, and your fear goes down. And, and then the years in the saddle, the fear will go down some more. Uh, if the fear ever goes away completely, uh, that's probably right before you blow the whole thing up accidentally. So you, you, a healthy dose of fear is part of running a business. You run in a, a healthy scared is a good thing. But, but we don't want to live in terror and anxiety all the time. And, and that's really where you are a lot more at the, at the treadmill stage. So uh, it's a healthy thing that you're asking to get out of that. I'm proud of you. You're doing good work, Tim. Very, very, very well done, sir. Hey, folks. Thanks to Eboo, our phone screener, Will Rudder, our board operator, Austin Selby, our producer. Our associate producer is Taylor Nemi. And camera op is Andrew Holmes. Holmes. Whatever Andrew's name is. Sorry about that, Andrew. Hey. Remember, better a weary warrior than a quivering critic. This world needs more high-quality leaders, so take courage and lead. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host. Thanks for listening to the Entree Leadership Podcast.